part three section twenty six of the main woods by henry david thoreau this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part three the allagash and east branch section twenty six tuesday july twenty eighth when we awoke we found a heavy dew on our blankets i lay awake very early and listened to the clear shrill ah tee 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 of the white-throated sparrow repeated at short intervals without the least variation for half an hour as if it could not enough express its happiness whether my companions heard it or not i know not but it was a kind of matins to me and the event of that forenoon it was a pleasant sunrise and we had a view of the mountains in the southeast katahdin appeared about southeast by south a double-topped mountain about southeast by east and another portion of the same east-southeast the last the indian called nurlumkitchtikuk and said that it was at the head of the east branch and we should pass near it on our return that way we did some more washing in the lake this morning and with our clothes hung about on the dead trees and rocks the shore looked like washing day at home the indian taking the hint borrowed the soap and walking into the lake washed his only cotton shirt on his person then put on his pants and let it dry on him i observed that he wore a cotton shirt originally white a greenish flannel one over it but no waistcoat flannel drawers and strong linen or duck pants which also had been white blue woolen stockings cowhide boots and a kosuth hat he carried no change of clothing but putting on a stout thick jacket which he laid aside in the canoe and seizing a full-sized axe his gun and ammunition and a blanket which would do for a sail or knapsack if wanted and strapping on his belt which contained a large sheath knife he walked off at once ready to be gone all summer this looked very independent a few simple and effective tools and no india-rubber clothing he was always the first ready to start in the morning and if it had not held some of our property would not have been obliged to roll up his blanket instead of carrying a large bundle of his own extra clothing etc he brought back the great coats of moose tied up in his blanket i found that his outfit was the result of a long experience and in the main hardly to be improved on unless by washing and an extra shirt wanting a button here he walked off to a place where some indians had recently encamped and searched for one but i believe in vain having softened our stiffened boots and shoes with the pork fat the usual disposition of what was left at breakfast we crossed the lake early steering in a diagonal direction northeasterly about four miles to the outlet which was not to be discovered till we were close to it the indian name apmujinegamuk means lake that is crossed because the usual course lies across and not through it this is the largest of the allagash lakes and was the first st john water that we floated on it is shaped in the main like chesuncook there are no mountains or high hills very near it at bangor we had been told of a township many miles farther northwest it was indicated to us as containing the highest land thereabouts where by climbing a particular tree in the forest we could get a general idea of the country i have no doubt that the last was good advice but we did not go there we did not intend to go far down the allagash but merely to get a view of the great lakes which are its source 
and then returned this way to the east branch of the penobscot the water now by good rights flowed northward if it could be said to flow at all after reaching the middle of the lake we found the waves as usual pretty high and the indian warned my companion who was nodding that he must not allow himself to fall asleep in the canoe lest he should upset us adding that when indians want to sleep in a canoe they lie down straight on the bottom but in this crowded one that was impossible however he said that he would nudge him if he saw him nodding a belt of dead trees stood all around the lake some far out in the water with others prostrate behind them and they made the shore for the most part almost inaccessible this is the effect of the dam at the outlet thus the natural sandy or rocky shore with its green fringe was concealed and destroyed we coasted westward along the north side searching for the outlet about one quarter of a mile distant from this savage-looking shore on which the waves were breaking violently knowing that it might easily be concealed amid this rubbish or by the overlapping of the shore it is remarkable how little these important gates to a lake are blazoned there is no triumphal arch over the modest inlet or outlet but at some undistinguished point it trickles in or out through the uninterrupted forest almost as through a sponge we reached the outlet in about an hour and carried over the dam there which is quite a solid structure and about one quarter of a mile farther there was a second dam the reader will perceive that the result of this particular damming about chamberlain lake is that the headwaters of the st john are made to flow by bangor they have thus dammed all the larger lakes raising their broad surfaces many feet moosehead for instance some forty miles long with its steamer on it thus turning the forces of nature against herself that they might float their spoils out of the country they rapidly run out of these immense forests all the finer and more accessible pine timber and then leave the bears to watch the decaying dams not clearing nor cultivating the land nor making roads nor building houses but leaving it a wilderness as they found it in many parts only these dams remain like deserted beaver dams think how much land they have flowed without asking nature's leave when the state wishes to endow an academy or university it grants it a tract of forest land one saw represents an academy a gang a university the wilderness experiences a sudden rise of all her streams and lakes she feels ten thousand vermin gnawing at the base of her noblest trees many combining drag them off jarring over the roots of the survivors and tumble them into the nearest stream till the fairest having fallen they scamper off to ransack some new wilderness and all is still again it is as when a migrating army of mice girdles a forest of pines the chopper fells trees from the same motive that the mouse gnaws them to get his living you tell me that he has a more interesting family than the mouse that is as it happens he speaks of a berth of timber a good place for him to get into just as a worm might when the chopper would praise a pine he will commonly tell you that the one he cut was so big that a yoke of oxen stood on its stump as if that were what the pine had grown for to become the footstool of oxen in my mind's eye i can see these unwieldy tame deer with a yoke binding them together and brazen-tipped horns betraying their servitude taking their stand on the stump of each giant pine in succession throughout this whole forest 
and chewing their cud there until it is nothing but an ox pasture and run out at that as if it were good for the oxen and some terebinthine or other medicinal quality ascended into their nostrils or is their elevated position intended merely as a symbol of the fact that the pastoral comes next in order to the sylvan or hunter life the character of the logger's admiration is betrayed by his very mode of expressing it if he told all that was in his mind he would say it was so big that i cut it down and then a yoke of oxen could stand on its stump he admires the log the carcass or corpse more than the tree why my dear sir the tree might have stood on its own stump and a great deal more comfortably and firmly than a yoke of oxen can if you had not cut it down what right have you to celebrate the virtues of the man you murdered the anglo-american can indeed cut down and grub up all this waving forest and make a stump speech and vote for buchanan on its ruins but he cannot converse with the spirit of the tree he fells he cannot read the poetry and mythology which retire as he advances he ignorantly erases mythological tablets in order to print his handbills in town meeting warrants on them before he has learned his a b c in the beautiful but mystic lore of the wilderness which spencer and dante had just begun to read he cuts it down coins a pine-tree shilling as if to signify the pine's value to him puts up a district schoolhouse and introduces webster's spelling-book below the last dam the river being swift and shallow though broad enough we too walked about half a mile to lighten the canoe i made it a rule to carry my knapsack when i walked and also to keep it tied to a crossbar when in the canoe that it might be found with the canoe if we should upset i heard the dog-day locust here and afterward on the carries a sound which i had associated only with more open if not settled countries the area for locusts must be small in the main woods we were now fairly on the allegash river which name our indians said meant hemlock bark these waters flow northward about one hundred miles at first very feebly then south-easterly two hundred and fifty more to the bay of fundy after perhaps two miles of river we entered heron lake called on the map pongoquahem scaring up forty or fifty young shakorways sheldrakes at the entrance which ran over the water with great rapidity as usual in a long line this was the fourth great lake lying northwest and southeast like chesuncook and most of the long lakes in that neighborhood and judging from the map it is about ten miles long we had entered it on the southwest side and saw a dark mountain northeast over the lake not very far off nor high which the indians said was called peaked mountain and used by explorers to look for timber from there was also some other high land more easterly the shores were in the same ragged and unsightly condition encumbered with dead timber both fallen and standing as in the last lake owing to the dam on the allegash below some low points or islands were almost drowned i saw something white a mile off on the water which turned out to be a great gull on a rock in the middle which the indian would have been glad to kill and eat but it flew away long before we were near and also a flock of summer ducks that were about the rock with it i asking him about herons since this was heron lake he said that he found the blue heron's nest in the hardwood trees i thought that i saw a light-coloured object move along the opposite or northern shore 
four or five miles distant. He did not know what it could be, unless it were a moose, though he had never seen a white one, but he said that he could distinguish a moose anywhere on shore, clear across the lake. Rounding a point, we stood across a bay for a mile and a half or two miles, toward a large island three or four miles down the lake we met with ephemerae shadfly midway about a mile from the shore and they evidently fly over the whole lake on moosehead i had seen a large devil's needle half a mile from the shore coming from the middle of the lake where it was three or four miles wide at least it had probably crossed but at last of course you come to lakes so large that an insect cannot fly across them and this perhaps will serve to distinguish a large lake from a small one we landed on the southeast side of the island which was rather elevated and densely wooded with a rocky shore in season for an early dinner somebody had camped there not long before and left the frame on which they stretched a moose hide which our indian criticized severely thinking it showed but little woodcraft here were plenty of the shells of crayfish or freshwater lobsters which had been washed ashore such as have given a name to some ponds and streams they are commonly four or five inches long the indian proceeded at once to cut a canoe birch slanted it up against another tree on the shore tying it with a withe and lay down to sleep in its shade when we were on the kokomgamok he recommended to us a new way home the very one which we had first thought of by the st john he even said that it was easier and would take but little more time than the other by the east branch of the penobscot though very much farther round and taking the map he showed where we should be each night for he was familiar with the route according to his calculation we should reach the french settlements the next night after this by keeping northward down the allegash and when we got into the main st john the banks would be more or less settled all the way as if that were a recommendation there would be but one or two falls with short carrying places and we should go down the stream very fast even a hundred miles a day if the wind allowed and he indicated where we should carry over into eel river to save a bend below woodstock in new brunswick and so into the Scudic lake and thence to the matawamkeg it would be about three hundred and sixty miles to bangor this way though only about one hundred and sixty by the other but in the former case we should explore the st john from its source through two-thirds of its course as well as the Scudic lake and matawamkeg and we were again tempted to go that way i feared however that the banks of the st john were too much settled when i asked him which course would take us through the wildest country he said the route by the east branch partly from this consideration as also from its shortness we resolved to adhere to the latter route and perhaps ascend katahdin on the way we made this island the limit of our excursion in this direction we had now seen the largest of the allegash lakes the next dam was about fifteen miles farther north down the allegash and it was dead water so far we had been told in bangor of a man who lived alone a sort of hermit at this dam to take care of it who spent his time tossing a bullet from one hand to the other for want of employment as if we might want to call on him this sort of tit-for-tat intercourse between his two hands bandying to and fro a leaden subject seems to have been his symbol for society this island according to the map was about a hundred and ten miles in a straight line 
north-northwest from bangor and about ninety-nine miles east-southeast from quebec there was another island visible toward the north end of the lake with an elevated clearing on it but we learned afterward that it was not inhabited had only been used as a pasture for cattle which summered in these woods though our informant said that there was a hut on the mainland near the outlet of the lake this unnaturally smooth-shaven squarish spot in the midst of the otherwise uninterrupted forest only reminded us how uninhabited the country was you would sooner expect to meet with a bear than an ox in such a clearing at any rate it must have been a surprise to the bears when they came across it such seen far or near you know at once to be man's work for nature never does it in order to let in the light to the earth as on a lake he clears off the forest on the hillsides and plains and sprinkles fine grass seed like an enchanter and so carpets the earth with a firm sward end of part three section twenty six recording by expatriate in bangor maine